This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy. Rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. I had to make some life decisions. And one of them was like indulging late night drinking, late night eating, foods that I was eating, zero exercise. And, you know, like I just thought essentially, eventually, I'm just going to have to like move away um, from just being that sort of fried chicken guy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Comfort food is much more than something delicious to eat. It transcends the bowl or plate and reaches into memories of our youth, of past feasts, and even forges new food memories too. It warms us to the core, makes us feel safe, and reminds us how much joy food can bring to the everyday. But how do you translate that comfort into a commercial setting? Morgan McGlone is the chef and owner of Sunday and founding partner of Bell's Hot Chicken. Morgan, how are you? Good, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. you you've um, carved out a career with a real talent of being able to deliver nuanced comfort food. Um, what's the challenges involved in, in doing that? Um, well, I mean, I just knew that I was never going to be like a, a Ben Shuri, Dan Hunter or Rene Redzepi if I stayed in, you know, fine dining type cuisine restaurant. So once I went to America and worked out that casual dining is very achievable and if you follow a few few easy steps, you can actually make one certain dish or many certain sort of fast food dishes um, refine them and, and, and serve them in a, in a great setting, which is kind of what we did with Bell's Hot Chicken and Fried Chicken. Um, and just just be proud of the fact that, yeah, man, I can still cook and I still it's still great to be invited to cook, you know, food in, in, in like res, restaurant-style food or, you know, like great, great dishes using great produce. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, you do get pigeonholed, I guess, in, in a certain sense that, you know, everyone kind of wants the, kind of wants the fried chicken and the comfort food things. But, like, yeah, like I said, it's still great to be invited and still great to be asked to do these festivals sometimes and um, without being asked to do the fried chicken, which is, which is sort of like, yeah. Even outside the realms of the fried chicken world with Bell's Hot Chicken, um, all of your food has this underlying um, depth of flavour and an almost homely feel, even though it's quite refined. Um You've, you're a third-generation chef. T- tell us about the impact of food and what it was like for you as a kid growing up. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was born in New Zealand and um, my earliest memories are nothing like, you know, uh, you know, having a grandmother or a nonna that cooked food. My mum my and dad had a fish and chip shop in a small town in, in, in North Island of New Zealand called Tukaroa and it was called Tiki Takeaways. And my dad was a trained chef. He, he, he was trained in the New Zealand Army, did city and guilds and did all his training there. And um, my grandfather was a chef as well, chef fisherman. So he immigrated from Ireland. Um, and my dad, very early on, just he was he mainly cooked most of the meals uh, growing up. But I, I do remember the fish and chip shop quite vividly, sitting on the freezer and eating chippies with probably too much barbecue sauce. And then um, all the, the tomato ketchup in New Zealand comes in this, like, plastic tomato sort of squirting thing, you know, like 
every every New Zealand household has it. So it would have been that. It would have been that as well. And then um, when, when we moved to Australia in the eight, 1980, um, my dad sort of made a decision that he wanted to grow up. He wanted us to be home at night with us. So he was working at the Cronulla RSL in, in the bistro there for about two years. And then basically he just changed his vocation. He became working in construction and became a crane driver. And yeah, so like he just wanted to, he wanted to be there for us at night, you know, so cooking, we were really lucky to have some, you know, spectacular like food at night, Not nothing like, you know, you know, fine dining or anything, but like, you know, we grew up with quite a good array of food. Then when my mum, I remember my mum cooking much the apricot chicken from Canton. That was a big, big, big favourite with the microwave rice. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we had a, like, we were really lucky to have an array of um, different types of food growing up. So, yeah, and then we'd, we'd always go to our local Chinese restaurant and on, on, on Friday night. You know, my dad would usually finish work and have a few beers with his mates and then we'd all go to, I grew up in the, in the Southern Shire, so we'd all go to either the, Return Services League and Miranda go to the Chinese restaurant there, or there was King Wan at the Cronulla Sharks League Club. Um, so we we were pretty lucky, you know. Australia was at that time, um, you know, pizza and things and Chinese and stuff it was just like normal fare. So like there was no sort of like oh this is exotic or anything. It was just kind of normal, you know. What, what lured you to start a career in hospitality? Oh, mate. I thought I was going to be the next Sonny Bill Williams, but um, <laughs> coming, coming back and they never had the impact players back in those days. So I was quite, you know, when it came to fitness, I was pretty, pretty lazy, but I was, I was good for a good 10 minutes, you know, and um, that was sort of the change. I got to play with some really great um, growing up in Australia. I got to play with like Adam McDougall and Nick Graham and Andrew Pierce and like, First grade, first grade. They were that's that was our team. I played for De La Salle Caringba, um growing up, and you know we had a great team. Um, few few sharks came out of our team, um, but yeah, when I, I I went to school in New Zealand for my last year and a half, and came back thinking that I was yeah you know, I was going to be the next Sunny Williams, but I kind of quickly worked out that I I wasn't I didn't have the the, the commitment to the fitness. And then um, I couldn't really, I didn't really, I couldn't really work out what I wanted to do. So my dad said, oh, you should become a chef. You really like cooking, you know, you really enjoy cooking. I was like, oh, no, but, you know, they work on weekends and they work nighttime. So my dad invited me to go work with him and help him move some chip rock. And after three days, I was looking through the uh, the Daily Telegraph <laughs> for, the, for the chef's apprenticeships. And uh, I tell you what, it only, it only took three days of moving chip rock to, work out that I just didn't have that, you know, the, the, the physical acumen to be a, be a construction, be in construction. So my first, my first apprenticeship where I started my apprenticeship was at the summit restaurant, which in the nineties, in the nineties was huge, man. We would do 400 Japanese for lunch on the buffet. Um, if you were working on the buffet carvery, you'd have this carvery jacket and, you had to have this incredible carving set, and I learned about I learned about like big numbers, like massive numbers. Um, I was there for about two years, and then I went and worked for the Maryvale Group at first at 
at, at uh, Cafe Maribel, Maribel's Cafe on Pitt Street, which was, uh, un, you know, where before they started having restaurants, obviously, you know, missed, um, John and um, Maribel, they had clothing shops. So this cafe was on the bottom. So I started mid, mid through my mid third year, I started working um, there. And then end of my third year, they were opening up restaurant CBD with Luke Mangan and Lucy Allen, and I went to work there for two years as finishing off my, my apprenticeship there and then spending some time there before I went over to Europe. So I went to Europe in 97 <clears throat> for a year and a half, and then that was came back and, yeah, just Sydney was buzzing because we got the Olympics. Um, I got I – I went and – I went, came back from Europe, went back and worked for Maribel at Slip In, which was cool. And then 1999, Luke and Mark Holmes, the chef, asked me to come and open up Salt with them. Um, and that was a great that was a great experience, you know, during the Olympics, cooking during the Olympics. You know, that was it was it was incredible. You've gone on to do the random events with Mark Holmes over the years and reconnecting with him. Do you have any stories yeah. of working with him at Salt? Well. To be honest, man, like when I first started working for Luke in 1995, I mean, I still to this day, I learned so much when it came butchery and making sauces. To, I, if I ever make a sauce, I make it the same way. It was just a genius way of, yeah, which is the Rue Brothers training method. So, um, you know, we when we opened up CBD, I think that was um, Maryvale's first real restaurant in that in that building. Um, first, within a month and a half, I think, you know, Terry Jurak gave us a hat and we got, you know, best new restaurant and it was, it was, it was an incredible experience. Um, Luke was in the kitchen every morning making sauces, boning out, learn, teaching me how to bone out oxtail and lamb rump. And, you know, we, 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 we have, we basically, when you do an apprenticeship in Australia, you just kind of brush over these things. And I, I was very lucky for, for two years to work with Luke and he was still very, very, very involved in the kitchen, very much inside the kitchen. Um, he, he worked, he worked seven, eight shifts like everyone else. He was on the roster. Um, back in those days, there wasn't as many out outside events or anything. So he was, he was pretty much, that was his first sort of head chef job. So he's pretty much, you know, committed to, to that, to, to that restaurant. And, and I, and I was very lucky to have that training under under him, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I would. There's some things that you you just people just don't learn these days. How to bone out poultry properly, how to bone out you know lamb rump properly off the bone. You know now they, now they, nowadays you just kind of order that in. You know, cap on, cap off. Um, and when we went to Salt, Luke was still heavily involved in the opening of Salt, but I think you know obviously his his um his his like um stuff that he had to do with his commitments outside the kitchen sort of grew more and more and more especially during the olympics i mean you know cooking on nbc and and and, and cooking at the olympic village and all those sort of things that that's very important for the for his business you know so like i i understand that more now like back then you just didn't re- you didn't really get it you just think why 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 aren't we in the kitchen more or why isn't he in the kitchen more but you, you even then in 2000 Compared even more more so today, but back then in two thousand, how much it drove business for Salt during the Olympics 
simply because of the reason we did the cooking episode with uh, Matt Lauer and Katie Couric during the Olympics at, at the Olympic Village, which was crazy. You know, like I understand that now having my own business, you, you, you know, you have to do these things, which is kind of like a necessary evil at times. Um, it, and if you're damned, if you do, and you're damned, if you don't. So it's still going to go on without you. So, you know, I, I was extremely lucky, especially working with Mark Holmes. Man, he was uh, just sort of someone that never really was never really happy with how good things were, and you think this could be better, this could be more refined, this could be better, this could be more refined. And to this day, I still use a lot of his sort of thinking um, on, you know, dishes because things can sometimes be better. Sometimes we should just leave them alone, but like. Sometimes they can be more refined and they can be more, they can be a lot better. So he, he taught me a lot about that. There's always opportunity to make things better. So yeah, that was it. That was the great, the great lessons I learned from Mark Holmes. At an early age, you set off to the US and started your own catering and chef agency in LA and New York. Do you have any stories of that time? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I got a job <clears throat> during the Olympics. I kind of met this girl and I thought it was like love, but it really wasn't. I was probably liked her. I probably liked her more than she liked me. And basically I, um, I went and took this job. Marty Bowitz got me a job with his family uh, in New York as a private chef. Um, and I went and worked a year and a half with that family all the way through. And uh, towards the end of that time with them, I, I met this, Australian Lincoln who had a, um, who, who was, he had a production company and he wanted me to do some catering for him on some f- little film shoots and stuff. But like, you know, this, this, this is the crazy thing about America is like, you know, you'd be doing, I'd be cooking for the family during the day and then he'd say, Oh, we've got a little dinner party tonight with Steven Spielberg and this and that. It's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, these things happen. Well, these things happen more and more in Australia now, obviously, because we're, we're, we're obviously a, a country where people like to film things. And, and, and of course, you know, we've got, we've, the people have finally worked out that we've got great um, places, locations and stuff that we can film movies and stuff. Um, I, back then, 2000, 2001, so it was, pretty, it was pretty insane, like to have that, you know, cooking for those sort of people. Um, being a private chef for a very, very wealthy family was a was was an interesting experience. Would I ever do it again? Absolutely not. I mean, I was never, I was, <laughs> I was never treated, I was never treated badly. But like, it's just you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to um to work for the for a family. You know, it's like they really that they it's 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 kind of arduous where you you know I was only cooking for two people and very structured lifestyle. Um, but yeah, it was it was a learning experience. I mean, you learn how to work with yourself. You know, I was working usually with a brigade of chefs, and then I, all of a sudden I'm just working by myself. So it's a lot of time to think about um, what you really want to do with your life. And I, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed my time. The first the first in 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 America was 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 definitely a build up for the second. But like, yeah, it was it was it was a good time. Well, the, the U.S. has had a huge influence on the direction you've taken as a chef, and you briefly alluded to that second visit that you had, which was a really huge move um, to to 
moved to Nashville and work, work with the likes of Sean Brock. What, what was it like at Husk? Um, look, man, I've got to thank Mike Eggett. I've got a big shout-out to Mike Eggett about putting me in the in the sort of eyesight of working for Sean. Um, you know, my brother and I, we had a small French bistro in Paddington called Flinders Inn for, for a hot minute. And to be honest, man, I, I kind of came back from Europe and I, I thought like everyone would want to eat French food, but it was kind of the sort of era in Australia where there was more gels on plates and foams and Mark was, Mark restaurant was like, you know, it's getting 17 out of 20 for a, for a lunch special, you know, lunch special, Friday lunch special menu, which I, I just, I was completely out of my depth. I, there was nothing I was selling that was new. There was nothing that people wanted. You know, I kind of worked out that like, oh man, people didn't want heavy butter sauces. They, they just, it wasn't sort of on trend at that time. And then you had like, you know, restaurants like Mark, and then you had places like Duke, which were like, just kind of like, free free spirited restaurants doing crazy weird combinations and you know with great with great wine lists and great vibe and I just kind of I missed the boat on all that sort of thing you know so I I sort of questioned maybe there's something else out there I can bring bring back to Australia um I had no intention of working for Sean Brock initially I was going to work at a restaurant called L2O a restaurant uh, the chef's name was Laurent Gras and um, I rode away to Laurent Gras and he had just got his third mission star and the next day he, he, he resigned. So he basically said, look, I, I won't be, I won't be there. Um, and I said, Oh, well, my friends told me to get in touch with another chef called Sean Brock. And he goes, look, man, if you want to do something new and exciting, the food that Sean Brock's doing at Husk in South Carolina is, is by far, um, you know, elevating the farm-to-table movement and working with all the food from the South. And to be honest, man, I, I, the only thing food I knew from the South was, like, barbecue ribs and, and fried chicken. I, that's all I thought it was. Like, I was at, like, you know, kind of oblivious to it's actually more than that. So I rode away <clears throat> in March uh, 2010 and... 2011, they said there's a position for a one-month stage. Um, please come and join us. So I, I went in April 2011, and within two weeks, I was so enamored by the way they did things and the way that Sean ran the restaurant and the kitchens that I asked for a job. I still had a visa to work in America. Um, it was going to expire in a year, so I thought at least I have a year. And um, Trisha, my partner, she was wanting to work for Jordan Khan in LA. So it kind of made a, it kind of made a, uh, a chance for us to have a fresh start, especially after having a restaurant that didn't work out. It was kind of embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like I just, I was kind of embarrassed that, it, you know, we, we'd sort of talked a big game in Australia and we didn't follow through. So I, <clears throat> I did my stage and then I got a job and started, um, I was there in April. I started officially in June. And I worked with Sean until um, the 2014, uh, start of 2014. I came back. I finished my position in Nashville as the head chef. I, I worked at Husk, Husk in Charleston and then 
moved to, he offered me the job as the head chef in Nashville. And of course, he, I mean, you don't say no. It's like at that time, at that time, Sean Brock was one of the biggest chefs in America. And I was extremely, extremely like lucky to even be considered. So I, I obviously took the job. Um, and that was, that was after working at Husk and Charleston for 19 months and then going to run a kitchen um, in, 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 in Nashville, it was, it was pretty out there. Like I was completely out of my depth. Like running a, running a restaurant in, in, um, in America is, is so different to running a restaurant in Australia. It's it, the way it's structured. Um, the work ethic of some of the chefs in in Australia. I mean, uh, sorry, in America, it, the chefs that we have, the system and, and the way we work in Australia is by far the most arduous and most rewarding. I think that we create, if, you, if you're if you very um, focused and, and and dedicated to a, a chef or, or um, you know, a mentor, you can come out and, and work anywhere in the world because – the way we, we run our kitchens in Australia is so different to everywhere else in the world. Um, for example, like chefs, cooks in, in, um, in, in America, they, they have all their prep done for them. They have prep cooks usually from Mexico, Mexico, Guatemala, who pretty much do everything for them. And in saying, in, 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 in saying that, like they just, you know, they don't, I don't say they don't work as hard. The services are longer. Um, I would say that. And, and, and you do so much more people. Like, you know, Husk would be doing uh, during the week, probably like Monday to Friday, doing lunch and dinner, 700 covers a day. And then, um, yeah, and then and then on the weekend with brunch, it goes up to up to 1,000. And, and you, and you, you kind of you need a, a, a back-of-house team to – you know, help you sort of make sure you can get all that sort of prep prep done. You know, it's 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 super hard um, being able to do that on your own. Are, are there any dishes or ingredients from your time working with Sean Brock that really sort of epitomise you know what you were learning there? Oh yeah, I mean everything to do with corn. Corn was a huge huge um, ingredient used with used throughout Sean's kitchens. I mean, basically, you know, I never, I never knew that you could be doing, utilizing so much corn like that. Um, you know, in the, in the form of grits as well, you know, like we, the, the, obviously the staple dish in, 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 um, in, in the South is shrimp and grits. That's kind of a staple dish. Um, you've got, um, I mean, we were very lucky. We worked with, um, especially in Charleston, there was a type of pig that was introduced to the South called Ossobor, uh, Ossobor pigs. So they were very, very incredible, almost like a mangalitsa pig, like lots of fat, huge lardo, um, but they had long snouts. So to obviously to forage for acorns and dig into the ground. So over time, their noses had gone like kind of quite long, almost like an aardvark in a sense. But yeah, so... They, that we would use a lot of like local um, local animals. So yeah, that was that was pretty big. Uh, lots of amazing. We 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 created relationships for supply with the Amish, um, 
in, in Indiana when I was in that show, um, the Mennonites who were, they're kind of like Amish light. They can have mobile phones and motorized uh, buggies, horse buggies. So we, we worked, we worked a lot with those guys and they would grow incredible produce that the soil that they were, you know, they were, they, were, they had on their, on their land was in, it's, it was insane. Um, yeah, it was just, they, they, I mean, there's so many products, you know, fermentation was a massive, massive, um, massive component of Sean's food, different vinegars, um, different, different ferments. Um, all our hot sauces would be, usually they would be, um, uh, fermented in Pappy Van Winkle barrels, which are, if you don't know Pappy Van Winkle is probably made the most famous, um, the most famous, uh, bourbon in 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 the south or in in the world actually um so we would ferment our hot sauce in those um yeah like we would make crazy vinegars like mountain dew vinegar which was incredible yeah um sarsaparilla vinegar all different vinegars like it, it, the the ferment program at nashville was was quite big um and then just you know the the, the actual different topography so Charleston, because it was a it was a coastline, it was a coastline town, a coastline city. We would get a lot. We, the the weather wasn't so cold, you know. It'd get down to probably like zero degrees, but nothing below that. Whereas Nashville, which is kind of near the Smoky Mountains, um, very 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 in, in, you know very inland, we get snow and black ice, and you know that that means like Charleston, you could still get great. Um, vegetables during the, during the winter there. Whereas, um, Nashville would be a lot of, like a lot of gourds, a lot of brassicas, a lot of, you know, turnips, pumpkins, all those sort of, you know, things that only grow in that sort of, that sort of, that sort of climate. So it was a bit different, more hardier. The dishes were a lot hardier. Um, lot, a few more braising items. So yeah, it was, it was completely yeah, completely different to either one or the other, you know what I mean? This episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy. Rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. Hospitality is where Deputy was born. <laughs> this is the industry we have pledged to help thrive. Hospitality thrives with Deputy because of the great people management we bring through easy rostering, timekeeping, and communication. And that's just the start. We're innovating with so many new things that I believe that we will make hospitality thrive even more than it did before the pandemic. For more information, go to deputy.com. You mentioned that you came back to Australia in 2014 and it was during those early stages where the idea of Bell's Hot Chicken came about. Um, t tell us tell us about that time and um, it really created a movement of fried chicken in Australia in a way. Yeah. Um, look, I, I came back and, like, obviously, you know, like I, I just I, I kind of knew that I couldn't open a, a southern restaurant and have legs, but maybe I could find a... A, a common common medium where people there, there's got to be something that everyone kind of enjoys it's a guilty pleasure but maybe they can maybe they won't feel that it's um you know like maybe they'll feel that 
they can they can have it a couple of times a week if we make it refined. And then it was all about having incredible sides with it. So a lot of the hot chicken restaurants that I, I ate at and where I got some ideas from and uh, for the recipe, they'd have amazing chicken or, and terrible sides or shit chicken and great sides. So we, we really only yeah, – we, we, we really uh, – we really only had to really just kind of have a few sides and make them really well. And we kind of used that whole Japanese mentality where let's not have a huge menu and just do a few things really well. And if people, you know, and, and obviously that kind of like stopped us from having a, a not as big of a market that um, at, at first, right? Cause people couldn't, you know, they wanted that certain things a certain way this and I just said, look, this is all we do, and we want to do it well. If you don't like it, we can't really serve you, and we're not going to change it. Um, we're a bit more, a bit more dogmatic at the start. Like, I wouldn't change anything. This is if you coming into our house. This is, you know, you go to someone's house, you don't say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have it like this. And I have it like that. It's like, hey, man, this is what it's, this is what it's about. So we kind of just, we kind of sat, we kind of sat like that, and then. The wines that we serve are kind of different. I've always been into kind of a natural wine and I've always been into draft beer. You know, one of our first slogans was uh, draft, not craft. Um, we were like, you know, like just kind of like, you know, great Australian beers. Like in Sydney, we sell Reshers. In Melbourne, we sell Melbourne Bitter. And, you know, like that's that's kind of like magnums of Melbourne Bitter with, you know, we could a large format Melbourne bitter would be like a 750 long neck, you know. So we, we were just, that's kind of what we did. And then we were lucky enough to get an incredible bourbon allocation. So we were serving like Pappy Van Winkle with in a fried chicken restaurant. And then people were just like freaking out. Like, how do you guys get Pappy Van Winkle here? But, you know, that, that I, I have to thank Sean for that. He put in a good word. But, um, you know, we, we just sort of like, this is what we did. And... We weren't going to change it. And obviously later on we kind of, you know, obviously after after a few years people were like, yeah, I like it, but I wish they just had this. Oh, I wish they just had that. So we just sort of started asking for suggestions. Like one of them was this chicken sandwich, which is now something that I've cooked all around the world, at Noma, in Japan, in America, you know, and that, that wasn't on the original menu. I didn't want to do a chicken sandwich. I mean, and then I thought, like, well, what's the best chicken sandwich in the world? It's a, it's a fucking zinger. So let's just make a better zinger. <clears throat> let's make a better zinger. So um, I guess some, some, some ideas were, were really cool to, to, to like, work on and, and, and get out there. But, yeah, essentially at the start, we just did what we did and we weren't going to budge. And, I, I, you know, even the rest of my partners were like, oh, it'd be really cool if we did this. I said, nah, not doing that. No, nah, I'm not doing this. This is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Bells was kind of like I guess it was one of the forefront people of that sort of like dude dude food movement, you know, where people were just doing, and a lot of them were just chefs that like kind of just had enough of, you know, doing fine dining, you know, like doing those you know huge hours, and, and then people just getting upset of you know, a lot of people didn't want to do degustation menus anymore. They just wanted to be a quick fix, in and out, um, and that's kind of. That's sort of where we wanted to fit in the market is, you know, we're not we're not your, uh, you know, your your big night out with your with your with your partner, but we could be it could be a few of your mates coming for a, 
you know, a few bottles of wine and, and, and some fried chicken. That's kind of like we kind of wanted to sit in the market. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't offering a, a coursed out meal. You were literally either getting a bucket of chicken or a sandwich and chicken or th- something like that. It just basically that's kind of where we, we wanted to be in the market. So, yeah. Well, what makes a great fried chicken? I mean, look, man, I think there's the easiest steps that people sort of um, – is obviously the oil you fry in. I, I kind of like cottonseed or canola oil. Um, the, the chicken I, – I feel that chicken on the bone is the best way, like a wing or a drumstick or a Maryland with a bone in. After you get to skinless, boneless chicken, you're never, ever going to achieve a crust, which is something like if you're going to – if you have a cheat meal and it's fried chicken and you get tenders – I mean, it's just kind of, it's not really a cheat meal because you haven't eaten the skin, you haven't indulged in the skin. So, like, for me, I think, like, you know, good fried chicken has to have skin, has to have bone. Um, you have to brine it beforehand. And then it's all, you know, you can buttermilk dredge or, but I also feel that it's your breading, your breading mixture. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I use a mixture of starches. I use rice flour, potato starch, tapioca starch, besan, and, and, and plain flour and plain flour just because it lightens up your breading. And then it's just different spices like ground ginger, cinnamon, um, mace, ground bay leaf, and onion powder, garlic powder. And there you got, you know, you got six things that can just sort of transcend your fried chicken breading from kind of average to kind of better than normal well, as you mentioned bell's hot chicken really was part of the the movement of quality um sort of experiences with with fried chicken in australia over the last decade and it grew substantially with sites across the country but you, you've decided to step away can you tell us about that yeah i mean look i i um you know like a few years ago man i got i got a i i lost a lot of weight I mean, I was nearly tipping 200 kilos and um, I, I had to make, I had to make some life decisions. And one of them was like indulging late night drinking, late night eating foods that I was eating, zero exercise. And, you know, like I just thought essentially, eventually I'm just going to have to like move away um, from just being that sort of fried chicken guy. You know what I mean? I, I, I just, it, it just got to a stage after seven and a half years that I, I was looking for something different. And then I was very lucky to um, meet my partners at Sunday. My, um, it, it, the food just was right up my alley. Rotisserie chicken, which I still, I still love chicken. Free range, which is something that we never could never do for the price point at Bell's. And then, you know, I, uh, just the sides, you know, more vegetables, more, more fresher, fresher items, a lot more salads. And, and that's kind of sort of the ethos we've been, um, we've kept with at, at Sunday. And that, that sort of really, it really sort of plays into my lifestyle now. Like I'm, I'm, I've never been healthier. You know, I'm doing yoga all the time now. I'm just, I'm watching what I'm really watching what I'm eating. You know, I've got a child, you know, so like, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not young. So like I'm an older father, you know, in my forties having a child it's a bit different when you're in your thirties and I kind of, you know, I'll, I'll be 66 when he's 21 and I kind of want to be there. So like, you know, I just, I think it's going to be, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to make a few changes in my life 
to do that. And, you know, food intake and what I was sort of eating was one of them. But then also what am, what am I spruiking as well? Like I'm spruiking this sort of living this healthy lifestyle and then I'm frying chicken. It just sort of, you know, it, it, the, the, the journey came to an end. And I think my partners wanted to go in a different direction and I wish them all the best. Like they want to grow, you know, in a different model. And I, 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 I think I think it's great. It's in great hands. They've got a great team over there now. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no bad blood. There's no animosity. It was just a, it was just time, you know, for, for both of us. We had new direction in the business. Um, I sort of stepped out of the business since the first lockdown. And they just basically said, look, you know, if, if you want to come back, it's changed. And, and it, you know, it just it, it wouldn't have been the same for, for, all, for, for both of us. So it was, just, it was just good timing. I think it was good timing. Um, we both wanted to have a change. We're changing in, in our direction. And, yeah, I just think, you know, Sunday for me is such a, a better – I feel it's a better direction and, and my lifestyle sort of suits it. Tell us a bit about the, the cooking that you're doing there. Is there a dish or two that you really love at the moment that sort of exemplifies where you're at? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I couldn't get away from the spice, but I've been, I'd been working on this sort of, you know, I, I, I love Nando's. I grew up eating Nando's and peri-peri chicken for me is, is like – so we found we, – we just – during this second – this last lockdown, I, I, I came in with – with the boys, I kept my boys on. We kept them working. We stayed open for doing takeaway, but we would have these sort of like insights of what what do we want to do in in rotisserie chicken because we're predominantly rotisserie chicken. Um, what do we want to do? That's that's kind of you know we we come up with these weekly specials. So like you know refining the chicken Kiev, which I think I love chicken Kiev, but I used to eat it. I think it was like bird bird's eye chicken Kiev. I think that's the sort of the sort of the sort of shit I grew up with. So I, I, I researched, like, the best chicken Kiev, how to make chicken Kiev. I hadn't made it since, you know, TAFE. And we were selling those sort of things. So, like, you know, it's sort of a wholesome place. I really love our exploration into, you know, finding ways to utilize the vegetables on the rotisserie. So we have a half, we have a half roasted cauliflower. I know everyone does cauliflower. But like over rotisserie, I think it's kind of cool, um, and we we just get a really cool flavour of it. And I love the, I love the sort of stuff we do with and, and our roast vegetables as well. Like it, you know, Australia has such a, a a funny relationship with roast vegetables. We just have they're either really burnt, or you've got like stuff that I think doesn't really belong in roast vegetables. I mean. You know, zucchini and squash. Like, we were doing that at the start because we thought we, we want to see some color in there. But essentially, squash is like made up of 90% water. <laughs> so, all the, all the, all the roast vegetables, we'd spend all this time roasting beautiful potatoes and carrots and Brussels sprouts and pumpkin and sweet potato just to have them end up being super soggy because of the squash because we wanted some, added some color in there. And that, that that was that was kind of like a, an eye opening experience, you know, like just saying, "Oh shit, we don't. We should we should just do five things well, and have them at their optimum, optimum roast pumpkin, optimum roast sweet potato, carrots and corn and stuff like that, 
as opposed to having the squash so because it aesthetically looks beautiful and it because most roast chicken res, ro, ro, charcoal chicken restaurants or rotisserie chicken restaurants it's it's eye-catching you know you got to have something that's eye-catching when you walk into that salad salad or roast veggie sort of that display unit you know so actually we we got rid of the display unit because we just said you know what like we want to be the new we want to kind of innovate sense that like you know those salads sit there way past the required or the allowed time that you're meant to have them there i think it's up to three hours trust me that the 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 salads stay there longer than three hours um so we just thought like if we're just doing such a precise menu, why don't we just re retrain our clientele into saying that like, we're still doing the rest vegetables. We're still doing this. We're still doing that. But it actually just comes fresh to you instead of like pre left in the display. So, you know, now our salads, which I'm really, really proud of. We use a real, we use a, we don't, I'd love to say we work with local farms and all that, that sort of stuff that I, I learned at, um, at Husk. But, I think, you know, our veg supply will tell us if something's great in season, plenty bountiful, beautiful, flavours good, as opposed to trying to champion a, a couple of farms that I think other restaurants like Tim William or Fratelli, they could they could really, really champion them much better. Um, so, yeah, like I think our salads are great. You know, we're always working on um, new dishes, which is, which is really cool. We just started working with uh Viduna meats which is a small small as well as Vicks so we work with Vicks as well um but Viduna we do get some great um porchetta from them which they they make for us we throw on the rotisserie so I really like the porchetta porchetta that we do as well which we sort of do from Friday to Sunday as a sandwich in a roll I love porchetta rolls I think I mean I still love it like cut quite thick and maybe with some apple sauce and some beautiful Brussels sprouts and stuff. but I I also like it in a sandwich. I think it's porchetta rolls. It's not, I don't think you can beat a better roll. Great with the crackling and all those good things. What do you love about what you do? Um, I just, I, I still, I love now more than ever because obviously, like you know, I got a, I got a child, so I don't work a lot of nights. You know, this Friday we're doing a special thing, um, which I, I, I normally don't do, but because Jen, Gemma Hensworth, who's Jenna Hensworth, who's a great. I don't know. Can you say mixologist? Like she just does great cocktails. She did a lot of work with the Swill House Group, and she's just a great and she's a great chick. She did all our beverage list. Um, we're doing a um, a special night with her, and I I still enjoy doing those things. But man, working nights now in your forties, it's just dude. I don't know how I don't know how chefs do it. I don't know how chefs do it after they're fifty. So I I I love I love getting things ready and knowing that I can now just leave it for the guys to they've got to they've got to work it out you know i can't i can't i can't be there all the time and you know i i kind of let that go after the first lockdown i just thought like you know what i can't you can't be there all the time and people have to just like when you know like just when luke wasn't there and i had to work it out you just have to, you have to train you have to train people to do this so i love training people i love seeing people you know going further. I love seeing, you know, one of my guys who work with me at Bells, he's, he's, um, <clears throat> he's trying to get his PR and unfortunately, or fortunately he's going to go to the regional. He's going to go to Newcastle and work with Joel Humphreys up there. Who's an amazing chef. 
I just, I'm, I'm just so happy. He worked for me for six years, and I'm just so happy to see him progress. You know, like from Bell's Hot Chicken, frying chicken for three and a half, four years, to coming working at Sunday, now crushing at Sunday, and then unfortunately due to, you know, he has to go and get his PR, and there's nothing we can do about it. But now he's going to go and work for a great chef and Joel Humphreys, and I, I'm, I'm so stoked for him to do that. You know, like, you know, I know there's a massive sh- sh- uh, chef and staff shortage in Australia, but I'm just so stoked that he can. He's going to go out and work with another really great chef, and that's that's going to that's ex- that's exceptional. And I, I love seeing that progression in chefs. You know, I I, I, I came from an era where um, where people get really really upset when you when you leave and don't talk to you and don't don't you know they just forget all the hard work you did for the time that you're with them and they're just so fixated on the fact that you've you know, feel they feel that you and it's more sometimes it's more about an inconvenience of their lifestyle it's not a fact that like you know and and instead of like you know saying oh man let's get you the best let's get you the best position or let's get you the best job where you're going let's get you ready to move on and so you know, sometimes when things don't work out, they're never coming back if you treat them like shit. They're never coming back. Like, they'll just say, like, fuck that. I'm not going back there. Whereas, like, if you treat people properly, like, man, when I left Husk, I, I, I was a head chef at Husk for 14 months, but I'd worked for Sean for three and a half years. Man, the way he treated me on the way out was so excellent. Like, that, that sort of changed my perception. Like, you don't have to be an asshole. Yeah, you don't have to be an asshole when someone leaves. Like, you can be a really, really, really good person and like you know we've remained friends and he always checks up on me and always asks me how i'm doing and always like really proud and just says things like oh man i'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing you know you know i've 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 taken things from husk and used them at bells and and now it's sunday of course i have like you know it's a it was a big part of my my training you know and 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 things i know that they they are very successful because he is a successful chef and he sees it he sees it more as that like things being passed on to good to good people then being passed on again and passed on again and and I've, i i i'm really i'm really um thankful for that those those lessons you know so that so for me the thing that i really enjoy these days is teaching people and learning from staff and you know just trying to just trying to you know just trying to keep a business rolling you know well, uh, Morgan, I know there's so many more stories that we could share and um, your influence is unbelievable. I've had the the pleasure of eating in many of the restaurants that you've cooked at that we didn't even get a chance to talk about. So perhaps we can catch, we can catch up again um, in the not too distant future. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Hulk, man. Thanks so much for having me and thanks so much for having this podcast, man. It's, I've listened to a few of them, man. It's really, really good. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.